I want to change one word in the title of the message as a word really from change to crisis and give to you what I believe the Lord has given to me to stay steadfast to the valley of crisis. And not one of us in this room uh, could say that we have not been through difficult times. We all have been through times of difficulty, times of despair, even times of depression. And when you're here and you understand a little bit more about what God wants you to know, as I did try the best I could last Sunday's message out of Colossians and dealing with the spiritual passion that the Apostle Paul had, if I can just remind you for a moment, and then the spiritual progress, of course, is many times in your hands because you are the one that needs to be in the Scriptures, meditating upon the Scriptures, not just reading them. And we talked about the spiritual promise. I left giving you a little small illustration of knowing that God was on the right side of me when I went into my surgery here just a few weeks ago, five weeks ago, or six weeks next coming Friday and help you understand a little bit more that when you go through a difficulty, when you go through something, that God is with you, and God will strengthen you through those times. And so the purpose of last Sunday's message was to help you to have some things to hold on to that you could remember um, when you go through times of difficulty. And I want to further that a little bit more by changing the word from uh, steadfast through the valley of change to steadfast through the valley of crisis. And so uh, I do a lot of outdoors uh, hunting and trapping and, and uh, work, of course, and I, I have gone through many hills where we hunt. There's a lot of hills and there's uh, valleys and then there's changes on the other side. And sometimes life is like that. Um, and so we understand the change, but sometimes during that valley that there is a little bit more uh, things going on that we really want to discuss. You can't see very well. Um, you don't know what's on the other side and so on, but you keep taking steps. And many of you have made a decision and put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And remember, dear friend, that you're on a lifelong journey. It's not something that instantly happens. God is still working on you. He is still preparing you for that place he has prepared for you. And sometimes him preparing the place for you is a little bit quicker than preparing you for that place. And so a lot of times we have to remember that God is still working on us. And in this passage, I felt like it was important for me to, to just read to you the, the key verse that I... But I want you to underline something in the key verse, if you would, verse number two with me. And look what it says. When thou this, look at the word through. Um, the Bible actually uses the word through... Uh, different times in this verse, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. And when thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, and neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. You know, it's, it's like it won't touch you, uh, won't burn you. And know that, that God is going to get you through that particular time. And if I could write a poem called Through... Uh, it would be a wonderful thing. Someone could write a song on that. But to help you understand that during those times of difficulty and when a crisis comes along, how do you get through those times? I think we need to remember that um, God's promises are there for a reason. Listen to me just for a moment. I've got a few minutes. If I can stand up here in pain, no pain pills today. 
Uh, I, I can tell you that you can listen to me for a few minutes. And, and honestly, I want to help you. Uh, give me your attention, if you would, for a moment this morning. And I believe I can help you get through uh, times of crisis. And it'll help you get to the other side. And God will give you the grace that during this time, you must remember his promises. If I can just have that particular term, glean upon his promises about three or so this morning. I got up and I was able to read the scriptures in my devotions this morning. And you can go back and check when I posted them. It must have been three something this morning that I wanted to convey the understanding of gleaning upon his promises. And, and of course, you know, I love Charles Spurgeon and his writings. And I was reading this morning and I just want to give it to you. Uh, it's found in Ruth 2 too. Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn when we're talking about the harvest fields being uh, emptied afterwards. And there is uh, still some corn left over. There still is fruit left over. There still is barley left over. And Ruth was going to go glean. And sometimes we must go down and remember that we can glean from the promises of God. And so Spurgeon's writings said this. Listen closely. It said, downcast and troubled Christian, come glean today in the broad field of promise. Here are abundance of precious promises which exactly meet thy wants. Take this one. He will not break the bruised reed, nor quench the smoking flax. Doth uh, not that suit thy case? A reed helpless, insignificant, and weak. A bruised reed out of which no music can come. Weaker than weakness itself. A reed, and that reed bruised. Yet he will not break thee. But on the contrary, will restore and strengthen thee. Thou art like uh, the strong smoking flax, no light No warmth can come from thee, but he will not quench thee. He will blow with his sweet breath of mercy till he fans thee to a flame. Would thou glean another ear? Come unto me, all ye that labor are in heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What soft words! Thy heart is tender, and the master knows it, and therefore he speaks so gently to thee. Wilt thou not obey him and come even unto him now? Take another ear of corn. Fear not, thou worm Jacob. I will help thee, saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. How canst thou fear with such a wonderful assurance as this? Thou mayest gather ten thousand such golden ears of these. I have blotted out thy sins like a cloud, and like a thick cloud the trans- thy transgressions. Or this one, through your, though your sin be as scarlet, it shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Or this one, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Our master's field is very rich. Behold the handfuls. See there lie before thee, poor, timid, believer, weak. Gather them up, make them thine own, for Jesus bids thee, take them. Be not afraid, only believe, and grasp these sweet promises. Thrust them out by meditation and feed upon them with joy. And just like all of the other promises we could discuss, and and I could probably read to you more great men of the faith through the years that have understood this understanding that without the promises of God, we have absolutely nothing. And we look to the promiser this morning with great intensity. And in the book of Isaiah, we see an incredible amount of truth coming out of this passage. In fact, the encouraging words in our text this morning out of Isaiah 40, 
43. Interesting that the, in the first verse it says, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. You can circle that word because that particular word means that I will always redeem you. I will always love you. I will always care for you. I will always be with you. That is a promise that God gives to us. And in the text, in verse number one, we can rejoice in the Lord because we understand that God is giving us these words of encouragement. Text, of course, by and penned by the hand of the prophet Isaiah and bring to bring comfort to God's particular, if you could, or, or peculiar people. And however, we have in the New Testament evidence that God has included those who have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember that redemption is something that is final. When you've come to Christ, it is finished. The Lord Jesus Christ has saved you. And you can most certainly claim these verses in Isaiah and you can hold on to them. You can write them on your refrigerator. You can put them on the wall of your home and you can claim these verses because they're in the scriptures for all of those that have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I know this because of what the New Testament says. Titus chapter two, verse number 14 says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Dear friend, do you ever sit sometimes and say, where is that quickening coming from? Why am I so passionate about the Lord? That's the Holy Spirit from above. He is in you and he will quicken you. He will make you alive unto what is good and healthy for you and for others and for our culture. What a blessing it was to talk to Elena just for a little bit yesterday and hear about her opportunity even in hospital and being able to talk to people about the Lord Jesus Christ and something prompting to her heart, tell them, tell them the good news about Jesus Christ. And maybe that's why the difficulty came. And maybe that's why the crisis came. The crisis didn't come for you to complain. The crisis came so that you could glorify the King of Kings, the God of heaven, glorify him in your words, and when he prompts you, please speak up. Praise the Lord that somebody got on their knees and accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior because of Elena giving them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for that. And maybe that's the whole cause of the crisis. Maybe it is. Maybe it never would have happened without it. As we think about these things, I hope that you'd understand that God tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9, which you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, as we talked about that in Sunday this morning. I believe that all who claim Christ can claim these verses to help bring a calming comfort to your heart and a confidence to your soul. And I believe that God wants us to know that no matter what we go through, there is going to be that divine deliverance through the trouble. But all that have that divine presence, not only through the trouble, but also help you to be able to be strengthened as you are going through the trouble compared with any affliction we face on earth, of course, we know that it is light compared to what our Lord Jesus Christ had to suffer for us. I've never suffered like this. I've had toes removed. I've had my, my foot was crushed by a motorcycle. I've never had pain like this pain. But I'm telling you, folks, that it is all okay because it reminds me of the back of what Jesus Christ went through and his yes. suffered for me 
suffered. The suffering Savior. We don't lift him up much anymore. We come with all of our Hollywood abilities and all of our worldly desires and say, if you do this, pastor, you'll grow. If you do this, you'll grow. I'm really into obedience, dear friend, to obey the Lord, to keep the pulpit in the center of the church, to lift up the scriptures, to lift up the Christ and make this a Christ-centered, authentic, biblical New Testament church. That's what's needed. That's what's needed right now. And during the crisis, we can turn into the promises of God, and he gives us the strength. But these afflictions are just for a moment. The Bible tells us that in 2 Corinthians 4.17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Because it gets our eyes on the Lord. So we all must go through these valleys of life and it would be good to call it the valley of crisis rather than change. It would benefit us that while we are in the valley of crisis that we would humble our hearts and be willing to be more Christ-like. Isn't that really the desire to be more like Jesus? I struggle so. I struggle with my past and my attitude. Sometimes I struggle with the way I handled things, and I suppose you do too, that my longing is to be more like Jesus, more sensitive, more honest, more real. But there are several things to keep in mind this morning, I think, out of this text that will help you. And I systematically put it together so that we could understand. Is it already 20 after 11? Yes. I just, that's just the introduction. <laughs> I, I need to... Cut it down a little bit. Yeah, bathroom break, maybe. That would help. Just uh, as long as it's not a smoke break. Amen? Amen? If God wanted us to smoke, he put a chimney on our head. <laughs> would make sense, wouldn't it? I want to draw some things out of the text that will help you. The first one is that we are God's personal possession. Do you realize that you're God's personal possession? You have things. Some of you are really, really, really careful in your, with your vehicle. It's almost like you've got to take your shoes off before you get in the car. Yeah. Some of you need a, you need a tetanus shot to get in your car. You know. But some of you have things that you may look at in, in worship, but they're pure possessions, and and sometimes we need to be good stewards of what God has given to us. I'm always blessed by some of the men in our church that they have certain tools that they have that they take care of and they sharpen and they oil them up and they are good taking good care of it. That's their chainsaw and that's it's their skill saw or whatever. Um, it's a good thing to do that, to take care of your things. And so don't get me wrong, but think about just for a moment that you're God's possession. Do you belong to him? What? Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And that you are not your own, but you are God's? If we think about that in a different way, it helps us really to bless our hearts, to understand. In the particular portion of Scripture, if we look at verse number one, we see that. But now, thus saith the Lord that created thee. So there we go, who created you, O Jacob. And he that formed thee, not only created, but he also formed you, And he redeemed you, and I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. Uh, Understand, Russ, that you're his. 
understand Tom and David and Diego and Mario and Brother Bob. Understand that you are not your own. You are his. Understanding that you're his helps us understand a little bit more of the text. Understanding that he'll be with you through those difficult times. The text is very clear that he created you, he formed you, he redeemed you, he called you really by his name, you are his. I think it's interesting because the Old Testament and both the New Testament give us a harmony on this subject. In Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse number 6 says, Do ye thus requite the Lord or repay the Lord, O foolish people and unwise? Is not he thy father that hath bought thee and hath not made thee and established thee? The verses that I already read or quoted, what? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? 1 Corinthians 16, or 6, verse 20, and verse 19. The Bible says, for you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 1 Corinthians seven twenty three. you are bought with a price, you are not, be not ye the servants of men. Of course, we know that we need to serve our Father who is in heaven. But to understand this is pretty important because many of us feel sometimes that our fathers have let us go. Maybe they not have let us go, but they have let us down somewhat. And Father's Day messages are always really healthy for all of us to hear, especially for the dads, to understand how important you are. But there are fathers that uh, do let their families down, but not our Heavenly Father. He will never let his family down. He is there. Remember when they said, you know, teach us to pray? You know, he said, our Father, who art in heaven. He directed their focus to the heavens and was teaching them to pray that who is thy Father and who is your Father? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. My Father, then, is personal, which means that he walks with me and talks with me. Along life's narrow way. You know the song. You know, and you think about going to the garden alone. You really are not alone in the garden. You are with him. And he will be with you. He is your father and he is personal. He is also all powerful. God is my strength and power. My father is ever present. He said, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the earth. I know that my father knows everything. I can go to him if I have a question or if I have any concern. I can go to my father. My father is sovereign. I will joyfully yield to him because I know that he is perfect and his way is perfect. And even in the time of crisis, we can can look to him and say, thy way is perfect. Lead on, O King Eternal. My father, of course, I know he is holy. He is worthy of my worship because he is holy. My father is absolute truth, and so I will believe him in everything that he has written. Uh, I believe my father, of course, is righteous, and so I will live by his standards. I know that my father is just, and he will treat me fairly. I know my father is love because he understands unconditionally has created everything for my pleasure and for me to enjoy and told me that he would love me eternally. My father is merciful because he forgives me and if I confess my sin unto him, he forgives me again and again and again. My father is faithful because he is trustworthy. My father never changes. He gives me the absolute uh, security and stability. 
I'm so excited about Channel 3 wants to do a little small uh, presentation about what's going on with the military and the jail. And uh, they've asked our, the Dane County chaplain to, to do something. I got another fellow that they're going to bring in. They wanted me to say a few things. I'm excited because the only hope for these fellows that are in jail is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can give them all kinds of programs. You can go ahead and shoot them up all you want to with all kinds of drugs to keep them from doing certain things. But what they need is Jesus Christ and the power of his spirit and how this world and even sometimes the pulpit try to quiet us down. We must continue to point people to Jesus Christ because he alone can take care of them. You don't need the church. You don't need religion. You need Jesus. That's what they need. Think about how that God gives us that understanding that we're his and he is mine. A fellow years ago called up. His sister said, would you please come up and see my, see my brother? He lives up just up the road, just a few blocks up the road. And I said, I'll get some time this afternoon. I'll go up and see him. He said he made a decision to receive Jesus as his Savior last night in the garage. I'd like for you to talk to him. So I went up and knocked on the door and there was a dog. I don't really like to be greeted by dogs at doors because I was a mailman. But tried the best I get get through the people. There was a lot of people there. And way back toward the deck, there was a man with no legs. He only had a few fingers on one hand and no hand on the other arm. And hunched over, he's blind, dying of diabetes. His name was George Hayes. And he said, come a little closer, would you? Would you put your hand on me and pray for me? I had some of the sweetest moments with George Hayes. He wanted to get baptized, and so we got a plastic chair from Walmart and put him in that plastic chair, put him in, we baptized him. After salvation, baptism isn't before salvation. That's all wrong. You get saved first, and then you're baptized. You trust Jesus Christ as your Savior first, and then you're baptized. And a Catholic man that grew up and knew about God, but he didn't receive and repent of his sins until he was in the garage with his sister. And I remember George Hage, sometimes I'd go up and talk to me, he says, he's right in here now. I'm with him. He's mine and I'm his. Just so simple. He says, can I go tell people about that? Took him to the nursing home, rolled him in on a wheelchair, gave him a microphone and carment. And when it was up functioning, I'd go in there with old George Hayes and he would say, I'm telling you people. And he got the, the word of God all mixed up, but I didn't care. The truth of what was happening to him was real. And he wanted to convey to people that they needed Jesus Christ, that that was the answer. What a beautiful thought that I am his. And he is mine. Somebody wrote this. I just want to read it to you. It was also kind of named Love with Everlasting Love. That's the kind of song was written. The words were written by George W. Robinson. And he lived from 1838 to 1877. Didn't live very long. And little is known about him. Born in Ireland, Robinson was educated in Dublin's uh, Trinity College and later New, New College in London. And later he became a pastor in Dudley. Dudley. And it is said that he became ill and he resigned as a pastor because of his illness. And little really is known of his cause of illness and really is known of his death. But this great hymn came from him who passed away at the age of 39. Let me read to you the verses that he wrote. 
that man who didn't live very long because of some strange illness, wrote, loved with everlasting love, led by grace, that love I know, gracious spirit from above, thou hast taught me it is so. Oh, this full and perfect peace, oh, this transport all divine in a love which cannot cease. I am his and he is mine. Heaven above is softer blue, earth the ground is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue, that's an old English word which means kind or type. Christless eyes have ever seen, birds with gladder songs overflow, flowers with deeper beauty shine since I know, as I know, that I am his and he is mine. Things that once were wild alarms cannot now disturb my rest, closed in everlasting arms and pillowed on the loving breast. Oh, uh, to lie forever here, doubt and care of self-resign, while he whispers in my ear, I am his, and he is mine. His forever, only his, who the Lord and me shall part. Ah, With what rest of bliss Christ can fill the loving heart. Heaven and earth will fade away and flee in firstborn light and gloom decline. But while God and I shall be, I am his and he is mine. Remember that you are his possession, dear friend, during a time of crisis. And remind yourself of the promise that you're his and you belong to him and he will never forsake thee. And you that are fatherless, you that have not had dads hug you and hold you like they should have, remember that your Father in heaven will have people near you that love you and care for you and that will take care of you, dear young child. Do you understand? You have a Father in heaven that loves you so, and he wants to help you. Flee to the Father. You that are unsaved, Be saved today. You can be in a church for 60 years and your heart's still rotten with sin because you've never given it to Jesus. You've given it to a cause. You've given it to a list of rules, but you've never given it to Jesus. Give Jesus your heart today. Say, take all of me, every chamber, clean it. It's all yours. He didn't hold back for you. Why are you holding back for him? Oh, but I know much more. No, you do not. He knows all. Simply bow your head and say, Here, Lord, here's all of me. I desire all of you. It's interesting as we think about these because we remember who claims us. We fear not then. But also remember that we have God's promise of protection in verse number 2. And we see that in the text. It says, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. And when thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. And neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. But look at verse 3. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel. Thy Savior, I gave Egypt for thy ransom, and Ethiopia and Sebia for thee. And since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. And therefore I will give men for thee, and people for thy life. As I think about that wonderful promise, I will be with thee, even through the difficulties, I remember that I am strengthened by the Spirit of the living God. Romans 4.20 says this, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, 
but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Speaking of our course, Abraham. I think it's encouraging when we think about the promise that he has given us to protect us during a crisis. I don't know if you've ever been in a fire. I don't know if you've ever been in a bad accident. Some of you have. But we could actually go around the room and we could hear of times where God has promised to protect you and he did it. He did it during that time and you woke up in the hospital room or you woke up at home or you realized then a few minutes after the difficulty that God protected you from something that would have horribly went wrong. But it was God taking care of you. I remember and I could talk about many illustrations, but the time is fleeting. I must continue the Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 1 John chapter 2, verse 25, and this is the promise that he has promised us, even eternal life. And I had Psalm 89, verse number 34, my covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. And so he said, I will be with thee. He made that promise, and he will keep that promise. He kept it with Isaac. In Genesis chapter 26, verse number 2, the Bible says, And the Lord appeared unto him, unto Isaac, and said, Go down into Egypt and dwell in the land, which I shall tell thee of, and sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and I will bless thee. He said it to Jacob in Genesis chapter 31, verse number 3. And the Lord said unto Jacob, Return unto the land of thy fathers, to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. And with Moses, he said in Exodus chapter 3, we, we remember uh, the verses, and Moses said unto God, who am, I, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly, I will be with thee, and, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee, and when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve the God upon this mountain. And of course, he was with Joshua, because the Bible says in Deuteronomy 31, verse 23, and he gave Joshua the son of Nun a charge. And he said, Be strong and of good courage, for thou shalt bring the children of Israel into the land which I swear unto them, and I will be with thee. He said it to Gideon in Judges chapter 6. Surely I will be with thee. He said it to Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 11. He said, I will be with thee. And of course to us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. One of the commentators, commentators, of course, expressed, and he went on to say that there are actually five negatives in this particular verse. In Hebrews, I will not leave thee. I will not. I will not. I will not. I will not forsake thee is the way that it could be written because of God's assurance telling us that he will always be with us and he will bring us through the waters, through the fire, through the rivers, and he will help us. Remember the three young men that were thrown into the fiery furnace. We have to talk about them for a moment. Oh, that would be a terrible thing to be thrown into the fire. But remember what the text says. Didn't we throw three? It just seems like there's four in there. You know? And, and, and bring them out, would you? And they open up, and there they come out. Not a hair singed. They didn't even smell like an ashtray. 
They smelt just fine. Because God took care of them. What a promise to protect by going through the hard times. One of the commentaries also said, God will not allow any calamity, however great, to overwhelm his true children, but will graciously sustain and comfort them under it, grant them in due time deliverance from it, and make it subservient to the highest welfare. Understand this, dear friend, that the crisis you're going through and the difficulty that is upon you is okay because of the promises of God. 1924, two climbers were part of an expedition to set out to conquer Mount Everest. I can imagine what they were like, 1924. The gear is all different now. I can imagine uh, what they would look like nowadays. And back then, all dressed in their abilities to climb Mount Everest as far as it is known. They never reached the summit and they never returned to tell the story. Somewhere on that gigantic mountain, they were overpowered by the elements and they died. And after the failure of this expedition, the rest of the party returned home, addressing a meeting in London. And one of those who returned described the ill-fated adventure. And then he turned to a huge photograph of Mount Everest mounted on the wall behind him. And he said this, not with a weak voice, but with a strong voice, he cried, we tried to conquer you once. But you overpowered us. We tried to conquer you the second time, but again, you were too much for us. And he shook his finger at that picture and said, But Everest, I want you to know that we are growing to conquer you. You can't grow bigger, but we can. No matter what problem you're going through, remember this, that God is growing you for the next crisis. No matter what comes your way, you can get through it with God's promises. We must talk about this one. In closing, we have a permanent provision. Uh, I have to tell you that he's always there. I'm going to skip this, dear friend, because I need to close. There is no doubt in my mind that God saved his people the expense of other nations. But the main reason for this passage is that we should understand that the Lord is our Savior and Jesus saves but he has also ability to save you permanently. Amen. That when you were a little child and you opened your heart to Jesus and he came into you and saved you, at the age that you're at now today, he is still there with you. He has saved you. Verily, verily, I say unto you that he that heareth my words and believes on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life that is permanently unto new life in Christ. The Bible says, and who hath sealed us in 2 Corinthians 1, and had given us the earnest of his spirit. And I just want to remind you of Romans 8, 38, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in closing, honestly, this is it. We have a powerful purpose. Oh, why would God save you? Why would he strengthen you? Why would he get you through the crisis? It's because he has a wonderful purpose for you. Some of you are still purposeless, wandering to and fro, wondering what to do. 
oh, I'm not trying to make fun of you. You can know that you know, not only that you're going to heaven, but what God has called you to do. And dear friend, you may have bypassed it four years ago or 50 years ago. But there's no need for repentance now other than to say, Lord, I turn to you. Fulfill me now into that role which you've called me to do. You've given me a purpose to glorify you. I understand that. But specifically now, show me and guide me. And he will open the door for you. When an opportunity comes your way, you know who's opening up that door for you? It is God. And for you to say, well, I don't know. Don't you know that a sovereign God wants you to glorify him and serving him? Do you know how many are sitting home today on the sidelines? This is a battle that we're in. This is maybe like perhaps a game to some. Maybe we could actually say a boxing match perhaps is a game or something that many have been knocked down but not knocked out. Get them up again. The count is still on. Five, six, seven. Get up! Get up! Because God wants you to do something. You're not out of the game. He wants you to do something. We have to glorify him till he returns. And he hasn't come yet. Because I know I'm saved and I'm still here. I know you're saved and we're still here. Look at all the cars in the parking lot. Something's still going on. God has still got his thing going on. So we must go forward. Understand this. And understanding it, we understand that I've been formed by him. I've been created by him. I've been made by him. One of the commentators said this in closing. It is for his own glory that God begins and carries forward the work of redemption in men's souls. And he will make every ransom spirit in heaven an eternal monument of his praise unto eternal glory. And give him the glory because he gives you that strength to continue on. Even through the difficult times, even through the dark times, we are God's personal possession in a crisis. We are God's promise. We have God's promise of protection. We have God's permanent provision of his presence and his power and his peace. We have also the powerful purpose that he has created us for a reason. I hope that you understand that God is calling and tonguing at your heart today. Listen, young person, you're not too young to serve the Lord. And listen, elderly You're not too elderly to serve the Lord. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't know what you're going through today. But I've directed you to the Father of heaven who has given his son, Jesus Christ, to us. And really for eternal purposes has given us the opportunity to be saved. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I still have not given Jesus Christ my heart. And maybe you're here this morning and your soul is stirred by this preaching today. And, and you want to ask Jesus Christ to save you. He's been working on you. You just didn't know how to do that. We have people that will show you from the scriptures how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. How you can look at the Bible and know and do what the Bible says and be obedient to the scriptures on salvation. But also a full surrender. So maybe you're here this morning and you need to come, whether it's salvation, whether it's full surrender, 
whether it's for just coming and kneeling down at an old-fashioned altar and saying, God, renew me and refresh me of these things, he will give you his power. He will come to you. The altar call is for you. But maybe there's one or two here today that has not given their heart to Jesus. Won't you come and say, yes, Jesus, here I am. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you stand to your feet? No one looking around. Let's have an invitation. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would work in this invitation time, Lord. We yield to you in Jesus' name. Amen.